Would you like to become a high-level influencer yourself? Well, don't miss out. Go over to thebookofpublicspeaking.com and grab your free copy of our latest book, not surprisingly called The Book of Public Speaking. This book will take you through what I share based on what I've learned as a speaker on stages for close to 20 years. It also shares interviews with some of the top speakers and speaking-related professionals that I've had the pleasure to spend the time with. And in, in addition, it includes quotes in the back by other speakers around why they get into speaking, their favorite speaking tips, and strategies they use to get more stages. So if you're wanting to become another and a better influencer, then feel free to grab this book. It'll teach you more than just speaking. But if you're wanting to get on stages and you leverage that as an influence tool, then look no further. Again, the book of public speaking.com. Now I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier and excited to be back with the latest edition and episode and really excited to have a brand new first time guest with us today. So Janine Brisois, really excited to have you here today. And where I usually like to start, Janine, is to ask our guests to tell us a little bit about their, whether we call it their journey or backstory. And you don't have to go back to like, people always say, well, how far back? You don't have to go back to childhood or anything, but just to give us a feel for how you spend your time today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me today, Corey. This is totally exciting. I am, um, I'm an individual who has a really interesting backstory. I started one of my careers when I was really young. And um, the I was born and raised on a farm. And we butchered all of our own animals. And I know that doesn't sound very nice. Um, but that's what gave me my basis and interest in anatomy and physiology. And working with uh, animals at that level, there's something really sacred about holding a warm heart in your hand. And I started massaging people when I was as young as 12 years old. Wow. And yeah, and I was... I was transferring the information that I was getting from the animals to the humans to see if I could feel the muscles in the same way and the nerves and all those kinds of things. And so my whole life, truly, I have been working with the nervous system. Um, Now, when I graduated from high school, massage therapy wasn't an option because it wasn't seen as a really good type of career back then. So I went to university and I had a degree in Bachelor of Science in, in psychology. And the psychology that I took was all focused on the brain and the nervous system. So from there, I did rehabilitation counseling work. I've done educational work with the Alzheimer's Association. And, um, and then I was a massage therapist for many, many years as well. And the neat thing about that, too, is when I went back to take massage therapy training, the question I asked was, tell me why it is that we massage in this manner. And the answer came back saying, because we've always done it this way. 
And that did not sit well with my scientific mind. So my quest upon completion of that program was to uncover the reason that people have pain. Mm -hmm. Some people can go through an event, no pain. Others, massive pain. And why is there unexplained pain? So I have been studying the brain and the nervous system for over 30 years. The work that I do now is fully focused on how every single thought that we have releases chemicals in our brain that causes us to be well or not well. And that depends on which level of wellness we're looking at. Wow, so so many directions I'd like to go there. I'm really really blown away by the um, by the age. You know, your first massage that twelve. That's amazing. Uh, what I guess first direction I'd like to go because I, I remember having a totally different totally different uh, walk of life. But when I first started teaching sales training at a college, that like that college had never even thought about that before. So I was the first ever and. Now, of course, it's, it's sort of commonplace to have sales training courses at college, but then it was unheard of. So what was it like to sort of, I guess, have to blaze that path? You know, because you're having to constantly explain to people what it is, constantly having to justify it, uh, probably having people saying, well, that doesn't seem like a real thing. So how hard was that, I guess, early on, those early years compared to today where, you know, when you bring up something like Reiki, people are like, oh, I know what you mean. Whereas that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. So how hard was it to sort of blaze that trail or be involved in that? You know, people have always been looking for answers about how come they feel badly. Nobody likes pain. Nobody. And we all do the best that we can to get out of pain. And we really want to feel well and to feel joyous. So when I would test people's bodies and work on them, um, they were very open to it. And the reason they were open to it was because I created trust with them. And trust is a huge issue that's lacking today in most places that we go to. Um, of course, if we're going to watch television, the information that's gonna come off of that is something that is negative. Mm -hmm. We're not good enough, we're not skinny enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not tall enough, we're not earning enough money, we're not having enough affairs, we're not doing enough bad things, we're not living life the way we feel we should. Those kinds of things create huge pain within the individual. Um, and trust is something that is lacking and it creates chemical releases in our brain that cause us to live in distrust. Mm -hmm. When we live in distrust, we then, you know, totally look out for ourselves. We're only thinking about ourselves. We're only, um, I like to call it being like an ostrich in the desert. So our eyeballs are going from side to side, looking every which way, anticipating something that's going to hurt us whether that's emotional or physical or psychological and it can come in and and we're on that hyper vigilant lookout all the time 
when we do that, the way that it shows up in the massage room is that people have headaches, neck pain, shoulder pain. And those are the co most common pains that people come to me in. And so when I teach them about what it is that they're bringing onto themselves, then we can talk about how to move from that area of the brain that's in distrust to the area of the brain that's in trust. That releases a whole different set of, of neurotransmitters in our body, and it allows us to feel a whole lot healthier and to bond with other people. So in corporations, where I want to take my business now is to heal corporations. And when we work with chief, chief executive officers, people at the top of the heap who are wanting so much for their staff, but they feel disconnected and the staff don't feel like they have a long-term job anymore. They don't feel safe at work. They don't feel as though they're valued. A lot of that comes from communication that causes the release of cortisol in the body. And so what do we have? We have stress at work, where we spend the majority of our time. We go home, we create stress environments in our home. We don't get along with our partners. Um, our children are having trouble. We're seeing lots of suicides in young children. We're seeing a lot of really serious mental health issues that are coming up. And, and our communities are, we're also creating our communities to not be a safe place to go to. Mm. So I really believe that when we become aware of how we can change our communication and our conversation in a way that creates trust, then we co-create. We lean in. We want to be part of this team. We want to build it and we feel safe. And we can take that great energy home and do the same thing there. And when we do it there, then we can build great communities that are safe. Wow. So one of the things that I'd like to ask that, you know, I guess ties into that, but we, it's, it, it, I, I, this is something that always sort of boggles my mind. At the same time, I think I have a good understanding of why it happens, but how we have great examples for how to do things better and right. And, you know, there's a, I think it's Oprah that has a quote that says, once you know better, you do better, which she might have got from Maya Angelou, I think. But the point of it is, is it's interesting how we keep repeating the same things over and over again. So, you know, if you look back at 60 years ago, we knew that certain things made sense to do it a certain way. Dale Carnegie wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People that told us everything we've ever needed to know about communicating with people, and yet the vast majority of the people still aren't practicing it. So my question out of all of that, Janine, is why do you think, like you just painted a picture of how great things can be, so why do you think is we as people keep going back and, and you know, basically jumping back and, and re trying to reinvent the wheel again? Like any, any, I guess, thoughts on why you think we keep doing the same thing over and over? Trust. That's the key word. Whose voice are you listening to? Hmm. That is a really powerful question. You know, if we are listening to the voice that is within us and we trust that voice that is within us, 
then we're going to do things that are going to be life-giving. We're going to have boundaries that say no, rather than focusing on um, wanting to belong and be part of a team. Did you know that, that it, the, the need or the desire to belong is so strong that when people are part of a team, you can show them proof of something. For example, two lines. So one line is longer than the other line. If the team influence is that, no, they're both the same size, individuals will actually deny their truth and say, no, they're not, you know, will go with the team influence. That's how critical the power to belong is. So there's that little bit of conflict that is going on within us where we want to belong more than we trust our own selves. And the language for that is trusting our gut. The nerve that connects the brain to the gut, to the heart, and to the forebrain is one of the most powerful nerves in our whole body. And the language around trusting our gut is a big deal. Go with your gut, trust your gut, you know, you're hurting me in the gut. <laughs> right? um, and when that is happening, we need, if we became aware of the language that we use and the way in which we communicate that language, we can alter our own personal health and we can alter um, our communities and, and the way in which we interact with people. Wow. Yeah, it's so powerful, that, that word trust. And I, I remember I, I delivered a talk a number of years ago in Edmonton, in fact, at the Dexio conference they had there. And Stephen uh, Covey, the, uh, the son, uh, not the father, uh, wrote a book called, I think it was just called Trust. It was either called Trust or The Power of Trust, but I think it was just called Trust. And his talk on the importance and power of trust, I'm going to say it was one of those moments, you know, in time where you can hear a talk and say, that changes everything in terms of how I do things. And I did, until that time, I had never really put enough thought to how important trust is and, and how big of an impact it has on every decision we make, our career. And I, I, this is my question out of that. <clears throat> do you think it's even more important now in the times in which we live than it was in the past in terms of the word trust, where now, well, I'll, I'll even, I'll preface that. I'll give you a reason I asked that so you have something to, to shoot off of. But when I say that, I'm bringing this up because now there's so many, let's look at Facebook ads. You know, there's so many Facebook ads that are designed to make you go, this is the right thing for me. This is the right product. This is the right program. Um, you can trust me because, and then we get burned. And it seems like because we're now have access to a digital world, we get hit with more of that stuff and there's more advertising than there's ever been. So do you think it's now more important than before that for us to make a decision that we actually have trust involved in the decision? Well, trust is a critical factor, period, in all decisions, in all things that we do, and in the way in which we move forward. I don't know that trust is any more important today than it was in the past. It is something, though, that we seem to need to cultivate more than we did in the past because we're exposed to constant barrage of information that's coming in. And there again, that's us, our egos, seeking to belong 
rather than looking internally and trusting what we really need before we step forward. Now, another compounding factor of this is that we are telling our children, children are being raised and told not to trust strangers. We are breaking down their wellness by telling them to not trust strangers, by us not interacting with strangers. It's extremely unhealthy. My belief is that 99.9% .9 of the population are good people. Mm -hmm. And what's more important is to give our children the tools that if their gut is telling them that they're not in a safe place, that they can run to someone that feels safe to them, even if they don't know them. Mm -hmm. And an example of that is that the majority of people who are sexually abused are sexually abused by people they know. So if we're telling our children, don't trust a stranger, but trust everybody we know, and that person happens to defile them, then what does a kid do? So we need to teach each other to be comfortable having boundaries, to be comfortable saying no, and to understand how to communicate and to recognize when we are feeling that we are not in a position of trust mm. because we're either in distrust or we're in trust and distrust doesn't feel good trust does absolutely well <clears throat> excuse me one of the things that you said there which really spoke to me <clears throat> it's weird because it's broke to, it's sometimes the way my mind works it triggered a different area like it's not re officially related to that but it made me think of this when you mentioned about the 99.9 percent .9 of people are good it made me think of this guest that i had on years ago his name was um his name is donald cooper he's a customer service speaker in canada and he he's a part of the cooper hockey family but he set it on his own and he had this really successful uh a retail business store it was a clothing store <clears throat> excuse me in toronto and he built a really big business in the middle of nowhere and people are like, like and people are like how did you do this and he said one of the things he said is he said i basically tried to do i tried to show my customers i trusted them and he was you know giving examples of what he did for the customer for instance um you know he built a big playground for the kids while they were there uh but the biggest one that stuck into my mind is he said and he didn't say walmart but i'm going to use them as the example at a time where say a walmart or a similar store says that you can only bring two items or three items in to, to try on for clothing. He said, I didn't care if they're dragging the whole store in there. Because he said, my thinking was 99.9, .9, this is what made me think of it, percentage of the people would never steal. And you're telling, you're giving those people the impression I don't trust you mm -hmm. for less than 1% that may try to steal, who may still get caught, and you may still not lose the clothing. So for that point, whatever percentage of shrinkage or loss or stolen items, <clears throat> you're actually, telling the rest of your customers, I don't trust you. And he said, for me, I want to say to the customers, whatever you need, to, you feel you need to bring in to try on, that's just more odd you're gonna buy something from me. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting that he built this really big brand, basically built around trust. Mm -hmm. and it's so amazing to me, still, how many stores, and I would say the majority, especially the, let's say the large chain ones, that still have this limit of two or three items that you can bring into the changing room with you. Anyway, so okay. I, it just yeah. makes you think of the power of trust with that. 
Yeah, and you know, customer service is a reflection of the trust that the top of the organization has for the rest of the people. Now, we've got a lot of people who hate their jobs. 85% of people hate the work that they're doing. 85%. That's massive. And we know statistically that when people quit their jobs, they're not quitting the work. They're quitting the people. They're quitting their boss. And then they're quitting because it's creating too much stress. Well, stress comes from lack of trust. Mm -hmm. Well, and to that point, uh, it's such a good point because I've said many times in the past that I don't believe the majority of people, even the ones that leave and get more money at the new job, I don't believe the majority of them were leaving for money. And it's funny how many people argue with, with you on that and say, no, no, people only leave because they want to get more money. My mm -hmm. experience has been 99% of the time, they may say, well, if I'm leaving anyway, I might as well get more money. But what started them looking was something went wrong in the office place. So it's interesting you mentioned that. Yeah, and it goes wrong at a communication level and at a trust level, right? So, so an example for me is that when I go into any store and the staff don't really care whether I'm there or not there and, and this job is just a little job for them, whatever, I know that at the head of the organization, there's issues going on where between them and middle management, there's communication and trust issues that aren't working. And it shows up in the frontline staff and it shows up in the bottom line. Absolutely. Right? Well, one of the things that I, I, I thought I'll ask and add on as well before we start to wind down, but just on the same area, just for people to see how powerful this is, you know, on my side, I'll say with, with our programs, what we do is if there's somebody that's had a great success in the program or, um, you know, somebody that may be a celebrity that I know that's whatever they've tested the program or they know about my program, then whenever I have my program page, I include them on the page to let people, when they're reading about the program, they're going to see this person had this experience, that person has that experience. And, you know, maybe this celebrity that they know uh, has worked with Corey or there's a picture with me with them or what have you. And inherently I know it's because they need to know they can trust me. And the more people they see that say, you can trust Corey, the better chance they're gonna trust me. Having said that, um, I'll lay it in to tell you how powerful this is, Janine, is I know that, and yet whenever I go onto a website, and let's say I go on and I see um, Tony uh, Horton, the P90X guy's on there, and there's all these people I know, Michael Gerber, the EMF guy, and I see them all saying, you gotta buy from Bob because he's awesome, and I see testimonials saying, grew my business by 400%, even though I know it, that's what pulls me in even though I know better. And whenever I'm reading, uh, let's say, um, uh, looking at a movie and it says three Academy Award winning actors, there's a trust built in me. Well, geez, they wouldn't have, all three of those Academy Award winning actors wouldn't have signed on for the script if it wasn't a good movie. And so what I'm getting at is whether we know it or not, I believe that trust is happening on a regular basis when we make our buying decisions. Back up what you said earlier. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Trust is, is the essence of where we need to go, but we will forfeit trust to belong. Mm, wow, that's a powerful statement. And yeah, and I, I, you know what, when you say that, I, I see it happening, right? I mean, it's even just the same as that, uh, it's a weird comparison, but somebody that you know, starts smoking cigarettes when they're younger, 
They're doing it to belong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're forfeiting trust of their parents who say, this could, you know, you're not, you're going to regret this. You're going to regret this decision to smoke this young because it's going to be harder to quit or whatever they tell them about it. Or here's proof that this is what it can cause a person. They're still, they want to be long more than they care about the repercussions. Well, exactly. And I mean, the, like I used to smoke and I remember my first cigarette. I don't know if you did, but I, I remember my first cigarette and I remember coughing and hacking till I was blue in the face. My eyeballs were crying. It was horrible. And yet, because I wanted to belong to my group of friends, I learned how to smoke. I didn't trust that my body didn't want it. That's the key thing, right? Your body was even telling you and told yeah. me. And, and I- our body tells us everything. Our body knows the answer. Our body absolutely knows the answer. And I've seen it time and again. And I want to reach out and teach as many people as possible how they can get health without meds and without um, without having to go through the traditional methods that are available out there in a way that's going to impact not just themselves, but everybody in their circles. So it's interesting, uh, just before we move our way to those last few, I'll call them rapid fire questions, uh, but just before we <laughs> there, it's interesting because I was thinking about when you said that about smoking and uh, I haven't had a cigarette in over 20 years, but I remember whenever I, I smoked and then I stopped for a month and the day I, like the first cigarette I had after quitting for that month, I turned green. I passed, I literally was in a mall and I laid down on the, the little benches and I was green in the face. And my friend was with me. He's like, are you sure you're going to be okay? And blah, blah, blah. And then lo and behold, three or four days later, I'm smoking a pack a day again. Like it's, yeah. it's mind blowing. But what made me think of that even down that path is whenever I finally quit, three or four of my friends that were in the same circle all ultimately quit around the same time. And I think it's because now they want to be belong to the non-smoker circle. Like it was probably, right. it's because it was weird. It was within like two weeks, all of us quit. And by the way, uh, there's four that I can think of three or four friends of mine that quit at that time. Not one of us has smoked a cigarette since yeah. that was 20 years ago. So it's like, we now want to belong to a new group. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, so just, I, I, just <laughs> I just want to validate what you're saying. Uh, so Janine, I promised I'd ask you three quick questions. First one of those questions is, uh, who inspires you and why? <sighs> That's a tough one, one person type of answer. Um, a collection of people who move themselves to excellence every single day, whether they're near me or whether they are um, big people, are are the source of the inspiration for me one of the most powerful people or books is is the bible Mm. the power and the truth that's in that bible and i mean you can pull everything out of there and make it relevant for today and when to me when something's been around for two thousand years plus that's pretty powerful. So that's one of my most inspirational books that I would recommend. Um, people who have overcome challenges and been honest enough to share them. Though, and, and shared them in a way that's life-giving and not a victimization is incredibly powerful. Um, 
I love neurosciences. So the obscure neuroscientists who have been able to put together some neuroscience information, Judith Glazer is a great one, um, who has put together information that can change who we are and how we are and how we feel. Incredible. Virginia Satir is another phenomenal person. So um, in terms of those types of inspiration, there's many people. Corey, you've inspired me at various levels as well because you're passionate about what you do and where you're going and you share that with others around you. And so those are things that pull us to communities and places that we want to go. Oh, thank you. That's so humbling. And I, you kind of uh, segued into another question I have. So you could even maybe uh, say, well, I've already sort of answered that one, but uh, about favorite books or recommended books. Are there any other books outside of the Bible that you say to people, you need to check out this book, you need to read this book? Is there any that come to mind? And if not, we can circle around to a different question. Um, well, I love Stephen Covey. The work that he has done is remarkable. Um, and there are so many others. I, I don't have anything that absolutely comes to mind right this second, Corey, I'm sorry. No, no, that's, don't be sorry. The Stephen Covey, even that's awesome. I mean, I talk about the seven habits often and it's funny, um, you know, I talked to a lot of people that even struggled with the seven habits in terms of his, his he was in some ways so far ahead of his time that some of the some of the things he teaches you have to almost hear multiple times or in different ways. And mm -hmm. I actually was uh, interviewing Lisa Nichols, who I think we talked with, you're familiar with. Uh, Lisa has dyslexia, and she was saying that when she read Stephen Covey, uh, she loved the book, but there were parts she just couldn't dissect it. And so she actually resonated more with Chicken, or sorry, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, because it was, okay. I think that was from one of his sons, I believe. I think that wrote mm -hmm. that. Uh, but it's interesting because uh, Stephen Covey's stuff was so far ahead of its time that I did, I've heard that from a few people that they even found sometimes it was challenging not to use it, but to even fully say, how can I grasp, how can I use this? But mm -hmm. at the same time, like things like measure twice, cut once, mm -hmm. such a throwaway thing, but so crucial and so many people don't do it. You know, the idea of, and, and you know, to me, that's a metaphor. Uh, it doesn't have to literally mean measuring twice, but if you think about it, what serves you better? You know, measuring that board you're going to cut a couple of times instead of cutting every time and then going, oh, crap, now it's too short. Uh, so, but when you think about in business, do we do that? And I think a lot of people do that. You know, we... Well, and I think we can relate that to trust. Ask yourself the question, does this fit for me? Absolutely. Right? And so that's measuring twice. So you're telling me this is good for me? Just a second. Give me a second. Let me check in. Huh. Okay. Now let's go forward, or let's not. Yeah, There's your that. measure twice. And the, and the other one that I love, that pop, and this just what dropped in my head, is the um, begin with the end in mind. You know, so what I call now reverse engineering. But, you know, like the idea of saying, where am I actually trying to get to? Because how many people don't do that? Mm -hmm. You know, people don't say, <clears throat> like uh, Robin Sharma, who you might be familiar with, the monk is old mm -hmm. Well, Years ago, I interviewed Robin, and he was saying that, um, one of his favorite quotes was by um, Warren Buffett. And not quotes, but uh, favorite teachings. And Warren Buffett taught about reverse engineering your life by asking yourself, who do I want to be when I'm 80 years old on the rocking chair on the step? And what do I want in my life? And what do I want it to look like? And now, what do you have to do every five years to make that happen? And then if you have to do that every five years, what do you have to do every year? And to me, 
you know, that's a, a, let's say a more detailed version of what Stephen Covey taught, which is basically think of what you, what you want at the end and then work your way backward. And so just, I mean, those are two habits and you think about those and those like the measuring twice, cutting once, beginning with the end in mind, those are game changers on their own. Just one of those could be a, a three volume book set and Covey. <laughs> had so anyway, the point is I digress. So I'm, I'm glad you said Stephen Covey because he doesn't get mentioned as, as often as maybe Napoleon Hill or Dale Carnegie. So I like to, and Robert Kiyosaki gets mentioned a lot as well with Rich Dad Poor Dad. So I like to try to even all the odds. <laughs> yeah, well, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Les Brown, those are all phenomenal speakers. And, and um, you know, they have incredible information that is transcends time. It's very basic. It's very thorough. And it's simple. And you know what? Life is simple. We make it hard because we overthink it and we don't trust. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There comes that trust theme again. I love it. Uh, so Janine, this is the very last official question. And it's simply, well, I call it the time machine question. Uh, so basically, it's if you could jump into a time machine, go back and talk to a younger version of yourself, and, and just give her one piece of life advice based on what you've learned in the years since. The two-part question is, A, would you get in the time machine? And B, if you did get in the time machine, what would you tell that younger Janine? I would get in the time machine, doggone it. <laughs> um, and some of the things I'd like to tell that younger version of myself is that you have what you need within you. Trust yourself. Listen to yourself first before you take in everything that's out in front of you. Life is a banquet. But that doesn't mean that at every sitting, we eat from every single offering. We need to choose. And when we choose wisely and assess daily, then we can get to the dessert of life. Wow. Powerful. I love it. So this has been an absolute pleasure. And so my, I guess we'll say the last question, which is the unofficial one, is simply, <laughs> but it might be the most important. Uh, it's, we've had, you know, had a great conversation over, let's say a half hour, give or take. And, uh, you know, people got to know you a little bit, but we barely scratched the surface. So A, I might call it a to be continued and look to bring you back on in the future. Uh, the B part is simply, where's the hub? How can we learn more if people want to connect with you further, learn more about your work? You said you want to get this message out to CEOs and, and, people in a major way. So where would they connect with you if they want to either A, share your work or B, connect with you further? They can connect with me. I have a website called Seven Dimension CEO, but it's actually set up as 7dceo.com. Oh, I like that. That's so much easier to, to say and remember. 7dceo.com. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Janine, this has been an absolute pleasure, as I mentioned. Uh, let's call it to be continued and keep the conversation alive. I'll do what I can to wave the flag for you, but thanks first and foremost for coming and joining us today and sharing so much great insight. And thank you so much for the offering, Corey. Keep up your good work as well. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to grab your free copy of The Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.